0: to what it is your part documentary part roundtable podcast with a sprinkling of competition two friends sometimes three tell each other wild and amazing story from all of time and space of their choosing and uh we compete to be the most edutaining i'm your host ellie main and joining me every week is chelsea Harfouche. hello hello my love how are you Oh my god. Mm. I was
1: mm-hmm. I was beyond hungover this <sighs> morning. It was Yikes. a rough one. What happened? What did you do? Where did you go? So as we've talked about on the podcast, like our new job yes. and it just so happened that one of my new coworkers was going to be in Austin has been in Austin for the past couple of weeks. So it like worked out like really fittingly in a strange way that like she was going to be in Austin basically as soon as I started. Nice. Just to visit one of her friends. And, and so we also- were like, Oh, we should go out. And so we went out, we went to a part <laughs> of town that I don't normally go out in. So that was also fun. Uh-huh. So it's like something like a little different. Um, <laughs> and yeah, we <laughs> times were had times were had it's also like very funny because it's absolutely like you know the curse of I don't think that we're gonna stay out that long oh like, yeah that's when it ends yeah. into like an absolute like rage chair moment so they <laughs> yes. had just gone to dinner and they'd had like a big fancy dinner downtown so they Yum. were like actively fading as we were like scrambling to get ready and they were like don't know how long we're gonna last because we're like in a food coma and I was like no totally fine um, <laughs> yeah. we'll f- no figure it out yeah and then cut <laughs> to we're like in their hotel room it's like 2.40 I think I sent Ooh. like videos to people, who's to say? You know, <laughs> I have a strict policy of like, I'm not gonna go back and read those texts. Oh, like, no, that's never. Just, no, that's, that's
0: that's for history and nothing else. That was a different person.
1: was like, that a wasn't, different person.
0: That was it simply wasn't, someone
1: else. That wasn't Miss Huffish. That was camp. Like that was satire. <laughs> it was like high comedy. Like that wasn't me.
0: You know? High comedy. That was high comedy. Uh, I was also not feeling my greatest this morning. I went to a bridal shower yesterday for our friend Emily. You did tell me that you were going to do that. It was just, you know, that white wine on tap kind of situation. Uh, ended up staying there, which was not the plan. Glenn and I stayed, <laughs> stayed down in San Antonio. Um people, <laughs> partly the wine and then partly was like, I just can't be asked to drive back. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I had one of those like super fun, like 90 minute not feeling my best car journeys this morning. Oh, that's hard. That's difficult. Yeah. I was like, Glenn, where do I need to take you?
1: <laughs> that's difficult. You didn't have to take her back to Waco, did you?
0: No, no, no. She needed
1: to Austin now. I don't know if she had moved yet.
0: She's just moved. Yes. Um, should we also tell the
1: podcast like where she lives? Like will you tell me her address? Her Hopefully. actual address? Yeah sure sure yeah, sure.
0: Yeah. sure. <laughs> so now Mine's I'm currently having a waffle robe moment with a cup of tea and uh, a very sleepy puppy.
1: Yeah I had to do uh, a tactical chunder and then it just like, like <gasps> mm, I was having like mm-hmm. the worst hangover of my life and then like it was immediate. It was fine. Yeah that TC. Uh, do you want to
0: explain for the people at home? Oh the tactical chunder, the TC. A tactical yeah. chunder. Is It is when you plan a little sick in order to either rally or help a hangover.
1: Hey, look! Like, is it self care? Maybe. Maybe. Who's to say? Yeah, say? Self care looks different for everyone. Yeah. Exactly. Hundred percent.
0: Hundred percent agree.
1: One hundred percent. Do you have a little fact bang
0: or I a little do. like? Oh my god! Hit me with it. Hit me with your best shot. Okay. This is really fun because like so many fact
1: bangs. It was almost my topic for tonight. Perfect. The uh, OG fact, fact bang. Like,
0: yeah, yeah, then I realized it was
1: like maybe too niche and like and <laughs> okay. really like not what like
0: everybody wants to listen to like 40 minutes about uh-huh, um, uh-huh. did you ever watch How I Met Your Mother I have seen like a few episodes but I didn't follow it particularly closely
1: well you know it was like second only to like Big Bang Theory Mamba's favorite <laughs> TV show um, <laughs> that in popularity when it was on yes um, no everyone was all about it yeah yeah so I watched I watched it all you know it, it like many sitcoms Comes like definitely the back half is not as strong as like the first you know uh-huh like four seasons but like it had a great little premise you know Ooh, who's gonna be the mother um who's she gonna be yeah and like some fun jokes a lot of which have like not aged well and, sure. Uh,
0: mm-hmm. for sure um,
1: I, I have been thinking it might be fun to like do like a rewatch on that because like right now Celia and I are rewatching the L word because I'm like oh I've got to like this is my responsibility to the culture is, <laughs> yeah uh-huh uh, is to, a like, guide through the L continue. word yeah just yeah. to continue continue to show people the L word when they haven't seen it because maybe they're like 23 and uh and we've been talking about how like that show was so like it was like like a vanguard at the time and there is some stuff in there that is just so bonkers dated like like a character transitions from female to male and like it is it is treated like a thing that like you are allowed to have like different differing opinions about like it's treated oh, like wow. the thing that like everybody else can talk about at the table of just like well I don't think it's right and like that's like <laughs> treated like that has like the same weight as somebody else and it's like oh god uh, yeah like, that's times have some, changed on that one yeah so somebody like really literally says like in the show well this like this is how we lose all of our like fine bush lesbians and it's like <laughs> (laughs) nope ooh no actually no that's like those are those are actually different things Um, that's yikes so so this is tangent um yeah but How I Met Your Mother even if you haven't seen it you can kind of guess the show is like essentially like a comedy mystery that's gonna eventually solve the question how did Ted meet his kid's mother right so the whole time every time Ted like interacts (laughs) with a woman you're like is this gonna be the mother yeah Uh, and it turns out and then like eventually like they do introduce the the show lasted for nine seasons in the season finale the Oof. eighth season they introduced the mother and then the ninth season in what felt like a party <laughs> trick that really wore out its welcome like three episodes mm. in the ninth season entirely takes place over one weekend Whoa. like it's like the weekend of like two characters getting married okay because um, because they they had already like, established oh, fun at, at the start and then at first it, yeah. and they like how many more <laughs> things can potentially happen to these five Ooh. people at this one crazy one <laughs> wedding yeah so because they had written themselves you know kind of into this course of like well they'd already revealed that like Ted meets the mother at yeah. the wedding of these two characters so as they got closer to that they were like well <laughs> kind of run out of runway here dude I, I guess we're doing this so that's how it ends but uh-huh. here's the thing mm-hmm. though that show was like an absolute like slammer jammer smash hit from like season four on before that it was on the bubble like it took a while to like get an audience and uh-huh. so seasons one two three it was constantly in danger of being cancelled oh the quick American show yeah that big American shop. And also yeah You don't even really As like a creator You don't get I think there's like Maybe like a misconception Like creators Get some sort of like um, Advance warning nope. And it's like I don't know Maybe if you're like J.J. Abrams or something They might yeah. give you that courtesy <laughs> But there are also A lot of creators That find
0: out Like when the press does so, Oh yeah. yeah Oh my gosh yeah And there's yeah, so, so, so often Especially with the Great American shop, There's so uh-huh. It's so often They don't even let You finish a series It's like It's done We're gonna stop No more Right we're gonna stop production <laughs> Exactly So yeah. They they went back the creators of the
1: show and kind of like looking back identified all these women throughout the first three seasons that were backup moms so basically <laughs> like they strategically planned episodes in different areas of the of the show to be a backup mom so that if the show got canceled they could just record a quick voiceover for the end and just of, of the Ted saying and that oh kids God. is how I met your mother and they were like at least then we can like solve like the core point just of the show Case. because like honestly like what the fuck do you do because like if you don't know yeah. that you're gonna get renewed or canceled you don't want to reveal the point of your show which is how i met your mother if you're gonna get renewed because then you have nowhere else to go but if yeah. you don't reveal it and you get canceled then like <laughs> the, the sweet souls who happen to watch like your baby are like well, what the fuck like was well, a the fucking like, mom
0: like, like how I felt when they cancelled the OA they just didn't give it it's third part yeah exactly Ugh. so it's I just was like
1: so mad right so then it's just like yeah imagine there was just like a voice like a voiceover at the end of like season two of the OA that was like and that Ellie is how she became <laughs> the original angel or whatever that it's like, so um and just like to put a finer point on what you're talking about so when a show first goes on the air you, typically uh, networks will give a show a 13 episode order because most shows, most like seasons of television are 22 episodes. So basically you get a 13 episode in America. So you get a 13 episode order. You make Uh those 13 episodes and then depending on how they start performing, you can either like Ellie pointed out, get the absolute chop where you don't even get to finish out the episodes you've already made, uh, which happens. Or you just get to do those 13 and then it's over. Or they'll (laughs) order what's called the back nine, which is the nine additional episodes to get to 22. Okay. So How I Met Your Mother was by like new, like relatively new creators. They did not know if it was going to do well. It, their biggest name in it was, you know, Neil Patrick Harris and mm-hmm. Willow from Buffy. And uh, <laughs> <That> official <name. laughs> her official name. Her official name Willow from Buffy. Um, <laughs> so what they, so the 13th episode, which I never knew this. It is like a standout episode of being like exceptionally good in the first season. Mm. But I never put this together. The 13th episode of the first season is Ted meeting a woman at a wedding. And oh. them having like a meet cute. And they explained that, oh, it's because we didn't know if we were going to get a back nine. And so, if all we were ever going to get were 13 episodes, we just wanted to end it with like this (laughs) very, very cute episode of Ted meeting a woman at a wedding. And then we were going to add in, like in post, a voiceover that's like, and that's how I met your mother. And And it would have just been, yeah. And it would have just been like a 13 episode story instead of a nine season, like blockbuster. So, anyway, that's very fun. And that kids is the story of how I learned about the backup moms (laughs) and how I met your mother. <laughs> the backup
0: moms. I love that. What is the title of your topic today, tonight? Are you this, ready for this? This week. Yeah, I go, think, go for it. I don't
1: want to get ahead of myself, Ellie, but I think we're going to have some fun here. <laughs> okay. I think we're going to have a little fun here. Love so just, that. Like, okay. <laughs> just like feel free to get in like a silly goofy mood
0: okay okay Okay. i'm in my
1: waffle i'm in my waffle robe so i'm halfway yeah exactly so you're ready yeah title of my topic is the glitter the gray and the way (laughs) is it
0: glitter um is it about this podcast (laughs) <laughs> no, it is not about this podcast. That would be very funny. The gl- say them again. Sorry, the glitter. The glitter, the gray and the way. The glitter, the gray and the way. The gray. What? Oh my gosh. Um, Is it? Hmm, it's about a journey of some kind. There's a journey hmm. element to this. It's more okay. like the, there's a journey
1: element to the structure of my topic. Beautiful. Like okay. we're going to go on a silly goofy journey, <laughs> which is why you need to be in a silly goofy mood.
0: Okay. Wait, so are these Three, okay. Are these three things related with a common theme or are they one thing?
1: They're all going to be, they're three different things. They're three different things. And they are mm. going to be all related,
0: hence my topic. Is it about weather? No. Is it about the grey and the way? Is it about um, wizards? No. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm stumped, but I'm also extremely intrigued. You're going to have some fun. Oh my god. <laughs> what is okay. the title of your topic? My title is Too Many go in, one comes out. Uh, is this about <laughs> teleportation? Ooh, I love that as a guess, but it is not. Okay. Is it mm-hmm. about murder? Uh, there's, there's some murder, but there it's not murder. crime, interestingly enough. But it's not a crime. Indeed. about
1: a, uh, <laughs> In an absolute tonal shift from what I'm bringing to the table,
0: is it about assisted uh-huh. suicide? No! <laughs> Can you imagine? I'd have to be in a really dark place. Well, <laughs> murder but not a crime. Oh, no, yeah, no, was difficult you know trying to yeah. Figure that out it is not about assisted suicide okay <laughs> uh can you imagine I,
1: yeah i'm gonna say i'm cackling to be clear about like the very <laughs> griffin mcelroy way that you said suicide and not at the concept Su- itself suicide um, um, Two men go in, <gasps> one come out. One comes out, and it's not teleportation, and it's Mm-mm. not time travel. No, because you know there's like a theory of time travel where it's like you like replace yourself. Yes, very. very which I find very spooky. spooky. <laughs> yeah, I find it very unsettling. Yeah, um, I don't like that.
0: But you're saying it's not. It's not that. No.
1: <laughs> um,
0: I am just staring into the eyes of Nick Cage that Mumbird sent me us too. up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> me too. Oh yeah, in our Patreon chat, yeah, I've been staring it's at it. It's so very good. <laughs> beautiful.
0: You are my national treasure. Oh, look uh, at this little rose really crown. Um, You're yeah. not even anywhere close to the topic, though, babe. Okay, well, I'm all, I am similarly swamped. So why
1: don't you tell me about it?
0: You know how i love a classics moment yes and normally i'll be spending a lot of time in egypt but today we're gonna pop over to ancient rome (gasps) same same but different yeah that is different (laughs) it is different let's talk about the colosseum the colosseum yeah Today I'm going to tell you the story that we have been uncovering with new findings, the real story of the Roman gladiator.
1: You mean like, like Russell Crowe in the movie Gladiator? Like Marcus
0: Aurelius, in, in, exactly.
1: Oh, Marcus Aurelius also in that movie, just for a little bit. Played by <laughs> Dumbledore. Is it Dumbledore? Oh, it, the, fir- the first Dumbledore, oh, yeah, the first Dumbledore, not like
0: like not like um, like spooky disco Dumbledore that we got <laughs> afterwards <laughs> with a little beard. Anyway, actually though, you're on the right track here with even my yes. with my beginning because I believe that Dumbledore in that movie is playing the Roman. Wait, no, is it the Roman senator Gracchus that he plays? He plays. Wait, he plays. Caesar. He's he plays Caesar. No, yes. Who? And then Richard Harris or Russell Crowe? Richard Harris plays Marcus Aurelius. Plays Marcus Aurelius. That's right. Okay, yeah. so the whoever plays the Roman senator. Senator Gracchus in that movie, Uh, I forget, Uh he says in the movie, the beating heart of Rome is not the marble of the Senate, it is the sand of the Colosseum. And that's Uh in the year 2000 Oscar winning movie, Gladiator. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
1: which, which we all saw with our stepdad who waited in line for three hours for advance tickets so we could see it on
0: a Thursday instead of a Friday. And we all we did all that. We all did that. And we all did that. Also, for all of us, the first time we saw our dad cry watching a movie. Oh yeah, um, my stepdad hardcore cried. They love it. I yeah, think, yeah, I don't yeah. know why, it just really seemed to tap into the male boomers. Good uh, oh, for it's them. Oh, a, it's a dad movie. It really is. So the, anyway, let's talk about the Coliseum. Let's talk about it. The towering 2,000-year-old Stone Amphitheater you know, the biggest one made in the Roman Empire is today Italy's most popular tourist attraction, drawing about eight million visitors in 2019 alone. Have you been? I have actually. Yeah, I've been lucky enough to go a couple times. It is. I too have been. It's exactly pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's big. Well, it's very big. Did you know that for the first time in June of this year, the underground passages, which had the cages and rooms where the prisoners and animals and gladiators would wait to pass through trap doors to go to the arena above them, which is now completely gone. Mm -hmm. That is now, they have just gone through a huge restoration and that is now open for you to walk through. And apparently it rules. Oh my God. No, yeah, definitely haven't experienced that. Yeah. So apparently more than 80 archaeologists, architects and engineers worked on the 15,000 square meter hypogeum, is what it's called, to -hmm. bring back to the center of the attention a monument that the whole world loves and make it, you know, make it a bit new again, make it exciting again. Yeah. But everyone's sort of, I can imagine the circular balconies, which have been available to the public for ages. They used to accommodate up to 70,000 spectators who would watch gladiator Mm. fights, executions, and animal hunts. And, and this I didn't know, before the Hypogeum underneath was built, the arena could be filled with water to reenact battles at sea. I knew that only because we,
1: we did like a section about um, like the Colosseum in one of my art history classes. We talked about like Roman architecture in general. That's um, not you know, so Colosseum, Huh?
0: That's crazy though. Oh like, yeah, it is. Throw some boats in there? Are you kidding? I don't even know that we have stadiums now that can be filled with water. I don't like, think so I don't no. think we do <laughs> like uh, very yeah, strange no, it's absolutely wild and apparently in 2023 they're gonna put some new high-tech flooring in there which I, I don't know what that means but it sounds exciting
1: as with so many of these things like there's a part of me that just like in as much as like there are very few things about the human experience that haven't been like privatized yeah it, there's like a, a very strong part of me that feels like any way that we can connect to like history and culture um, and I don't I don't think the Colosseum is free. I do think you have to pay. No, I think it's I, like
0: 50 euro or something.
1: Yeah, but like, so I mean, it has been privatized in that extent, but at least it, like, it is open to the public and like, you mm-hmm. can go and experience this thing, which I think is really beautiful. But I also, like, how much longer can it last if like that many no. people oh, walk trump, through it? Like,
0: trampling through it every day?
1: Yeah, so I hope that if they're doing some sort of high-tech flooring, it's also like, part of like a, well, we have to we have to continue to fortify this thing if we yeah. want it to like, continue to exist.
0: I wonder if they'll figure out a way that like essentially you'll just like walkways over it all so that you won't be walking through the actual stones which are, yeah you're right they must be like crumbling at this point you would think but I don't know but let's talk about gladiators so tell me I'm guessing you know what a gladiator is and I'm guessing that everyone listening knows you know you think the swords, shields angry emperors thumbs up, thumbs down all that kind of stuff most Russell of which we get Russell Crowe exactly <laughs> and then um, oh, angry little what's his face in that movie oh Joaquin oh, Phoenix Joaquin Phoenix phoenix angry little boy and obsessed with his sister i believe yeah um, one of that sister and then <laughs> russell crowe is like
1: are you not entertained
0: so here <laughs> that's right Oh, he is, he is very delicious in that movie. Anyway, yeah. But a deeper look and recent discoveries point to an industry far more complex than just the bloody battles that we think about when we think about gladiators. So gladiators were more than anything else, performers. Their shows, you know, as we said, would draw mass audiences up to 70,000 people in the Roman world. There has begun some questioning about the impression that pop culture perpetuates that two men enter and one man leaves. The idea that all gladiator fights were like fights to the death. Because if you think about that, it doesn't make a ton of economic sense for the larger system of Rome. Like, sure, they have they had many, many bodies that they could throw into the arena, mm-hmm. but- Yeah. A lot of Christians. A lot of Christians. Oh, yeah. Being a gladiator was much more about being kind of like, like it was kind of a bit more like wrestling. Like, Yeah. That is more of like entertainment than anything else Um, so all of this information that I got today comes from Dr. Alison Futrell who studies in specificity the spectacle of gladiatorial games which I'm like that's a pretty cool area of academics to chill out in yeah so the first gladiatorial combat that we know about in Rome dates back to the third century and uh, BC and they're associated with public funerals because the Romans would see that as like an honor ritual um, as they sent their noble or whoever was important enough to have games for their death would be set into the new type of existence, the afterlife. They would be to honor them by suggesting that their death is like something worth making, worth marking by a whole society and not just the family. So, like a spectacle. A whole spectacle, exactly. So the Roman Empire grows, gets bigger and bigger, and so does the political influence of these games. So Caesar in 65 BC commemorated his father, who had died 20 years earlier with a lavish Gladiatorial games, and then later again for his daughter who had died eight years prior and the expansion of Rome and the tremendous amount of wealth that the audience, especially the Roman elites, sort of presented this opportunity for them to enhance their own politicking by massively building out a spectacle that that showed the chasm between the wealthy and the non-wealthy, opening up hugely. So basically it was the wealthy few, as it always, rather than the many mm-hmm. who benefited from the riches and mass resources of the empire. And so a lot more people wanted to have a slice of this Roman Empire and have their voices heard and, you know, be a part of this great democracy that's supposedly going on. Lol, JK. Um, <laughs> and for, for your voice to be heard, there really wasn't a better place than the gladiatorial games. Hence that whole quote from gladiator where he says, no, this is all decided in the sands of the Colosseum, and not the marble of the Senate. It's such a great line. Mm-hmm. It is um, It's really good. So the sponsors of these shows and the Roman elite have these prime sitting areas, right? Like you do in arenas now. Like they would be on in the front row, right Right down like there. Like the at box the, seats. Right, yeah, the box seats. VIP area. And they're all there mostly just to be seen, right? And it's all to mm. like have this lavish, positive attention. Everyone's yelling about how wonderful I am. I love the people. I'm part of this. We love it. Um, <laughs> I feel like they, they did a good job of kind of portraying that part of it in
1: Gladiator. Like, I'm yeah. sure that there's a lot of, like, artistic liberty in that movie. But, like, you definitely sure. got the sense of like, Commodus went there to, like, feel like he was part of it. Which I have and, read like, is beloved. true of the real Emperor Commodus. Yeah. And yeah. loved. He felt, like, loved and, like, he, you know, like, the iconic thumbs up, thumbs down was him, like, mm-hmm. essentially kind of, like, self-inserting into, like, the spectacle.
0: Oh, massively, yeah. And he was, and also showing everyone that, A, like, praise me, but like, love me, but also I can decide whether you live or die at the turn of my hand. So right. it's like, <laughs> keep Um, loving me but that was the kind of interaction that they went there for right to be important to be seen to have to make these decisions over people's lives whatever but it wasn't always just that so these political actions followed down into the prestige seating areas and there was this exchange There was an idea in Rome called the license of the theatres where for some reason only in a theatre only in that kind of setting or an amphitheatre that sort of people had more freedom to criticise how you could sort of buy your way into having the ear of the, of the emperor basically and this license of the theater even applied to yeah, it applied to the emperor when the games was hosted and, and it would carry over into all venues so whoever was the most important person there was an opportunity for people to be heard ironically in a safe space mm-hmm. and then the Roman amphitheater itself is a really important like iconic piece of architecture and archaeology because it is very specifically a Roman building type and what I mean from that is like as the Romans absorbed all the cultural like all the countries around them pretty much they would draw a lot of architectural inferences from the other countries that they took you know from other places in the the Mediterranean and the amphitheater really is one of the only like this is this started in Rome this is a Roman building and so then as soon as this sort of these games started happening, this political theater, all this idea, this influence and the license of the theater grew. Hundreds of these amphitheaters popped up across all across the empire. There's some in like Wales, there's ruins in all, like just everywhere. Like Croatia has a bunch of amphitheaters. It's so cool. It is. It's very, very cool. And actually, side note, slight tangent kind of, I learned recently that up until the gladiatorial games and just their prevalence and how much of it was like, you know, animal hunting and animal fighting, that a lot of the animals that are now only specific to African regions, like lions and giraffes and whatever you have, all those guys, elephants. They were actually all across Europe at the time, but so many of these gladiatorial games happened that they basically like killed off European lions. And because they would, Aww. it became a whole trade that people would would capture these animals and have them sent to Rome for the games. And so That's they wild. would, yeah. So there would have been like English lions popping around, but no more. That's interesting because something that I have thought about before is obviously
1: there probably were a lot of um, architecture or like other sort of like cultural markers of like the Roman Empire at its largest across Europe that would have then been superseded by like the distinct like European cultures that preceded it Mm -hmm. but I've always wondered and like I know that like for example like in in England apparently like people like grandpas always be finding like Roman coins or like pottery in their you know backyard or whatever but I have always like kind of lamented like why don't you see like temples or whatever like across yeah. all of europe like something that's just like is sort of like unifying in like that particular cultural history outside of italy so mm-hmm. thinking of like the amphitheaters being you know all around is actually really cool
0: yeah and like most of them still exist there are some that have like at this point are more just like earth mounds but right. it is incredible that like we were saying earlier like the, Col- the Colosseum is a building that you can go inside and walk around and see the evidence of this crazy extremely fucking old culture very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the Colosseum is really like the premier example of an amphitheater because it had these facades you see those sort of arches all the way around it that would make use of uh, made use of more expensive kinds of stone the whole point of it was to show off the expense and power and artistry of Rome and, and make it into this premier cultural object and there's been a lot of like psychologists and historians have come together to study uh, amphitheaters in relation to like modern day venues like that because it is still like you know it's pretty much still like think about the UT stadium that I think it's like 80,000 90,000 people can fit in that oh, one yeah. like it's freaking huge um, it's pretty much still like obviously much more modern instruments and modern art, like architecture but it's still the same idea right that like you have your box seats you have your ex- your posh expensive down like close to the action and then it goes up and up and up and it gets less uh, less expensive and, and more for the whiff the laugh and the uh, <laughs> They would do things in the Roman days that they still do now. Like, have you ever been to a sports game where they're like firing t-shirts out of cannons and shit like that? Uh, I've been to a movie premiere where they fired t-shirts out of cannons. That's so very I'm exciting.
1: Don't <laughs> <of> sports <laughs> games, but
0: no, you must have been to a UT game when you were there.
1: I never went to a single <gasps> UT game. Do you know how hard wow. it was? Even like for students. Like really? It's expensive and you have to like wait in a like pot to see if you get a ticket for like different Oof. unless you want to pay a huge amount of money to have like a season ticket or like a season seat. Then you basically go into like a lottery to try to get like student tickets. You wait in line for hours. Uh it's very hot. I don't like sports. That's uh, insane. <laughs> no, I never I never went to a game. I okay. I did once go to um, a Texas A&M football game with my (gasps) stepmom went to that's cool. <laughs> that uh, and it was absolutely school. a spectacle. And I totally understand why people like to do mm-hmm. it. For sure. Yeah. I would go to like a U- an Austin FC game if the tickets weren't
0: uh eight thousand dollars Oh, they are so ridiculous. That's crazy yeah. expensive. Um, but yeah, so they basically they had ancient Rome versions of t-shirt cannons. They would fire these little small balls, basically. They would throw them into the spectator stands, and inscribed on these balls would have details of a significant price, like not just a t-shirt or a toy or a necklace or whatever people could win apartments in downtown rome whoa life-changing sums of money that kind of thing and it was to it was just to keep the people on side basically it was the whoever was um you know let's say it's the emperor in the it's the roman empire it was a visible mm. and tangible way of showing how like they're benefiting the people and they care about the people by being like look at all the things i'm giving you <laughs> uh, it's uh what is it? it's uh panem a
1: Circanum, bread and circuses yes like you, exactly like spectacle and then they don't question all the other Mm -hmm. awful shit you do. Fun fact, that is why Panem, that's why that's the name of like the sort of like post-America country in Hunger Ah. Games, like the dystopian
0: country. It's uh, Panem after Panama Arcanum. That's awesome to know. Oh my gosh, another fact, bang. (laughs) Bang, Um, bang. Bang, bang. So what are they all there to see, these gladiatorial clashes? And new artifacts are beginning to detail things about gladiators and the gladiator battles that we never have known before, which is really fucking cool. So apparently, actually, the majority of them survived every time they would escape this what we've come to believe is this 50-50 one of them's definitely going to die situation so animals were viciously hunted like I was saying and also criminals and Christians were executed and like that was a big part of it too obviously what we do know and what we've always known is that these games were extremely violent and that was part of it everyone was like yay blood I've heard some absolutely like stomach churning stuff oh yeah nasty nasty stuff going on but this new analysis suggests that for Every 10 gladiators who entered the arena 9 lived to scene of the day Which is not what we thought was happening before And these games were Pretty like regimentally structured They had timeouts Because we found like pottery and images Where they seem to be like hanging out, drinking water Getting a quick massage, having a breather Then like picking up your sword and going back into it one image found in a pot in Netherlands shows a referee holding his staff up to like halt the fight while an assistant is running on with replacement swords. <laughs> like, hang on a second, we've got some new ones here. <laughs> a lot of the way that they're figuring out more and more information about all of this is from looking at gladiators' tombstones that pretty much mostly we talk about the end game. Like they talk about their last fight, which is usually how they got murdered. So there's a, a tombstone found in France that reads, his wife put this up with her own money for her wonderful spouse. Oh, huh? Cute. oh. <laughs> but being a gladiator was like, you were pretty much the lowest of the low. There were definitely people who were like kind of brought up in it, sold as slaves. That also happens in the movie. Prisoners of war were put into this whole gladiator slave system. But we also have found evidence about people who selected this life. A lot of the time it's people who were over, like faced overwhelming amounts of debt. So they sold themselves to like slave captors to be gladiators. And other people chose it to basically to become famous and make a name for themselves. So like a wrestler. Right, exactly. (laughs) But yes, yeah, so they belong to the lowest class of Roman society. There's still some some good, like there's some famous graffiti found on the walls of Pompeii, which we know was like things were so immaculately preserved by the volcanic ash. They found this graffiti that someone had drawn of a gladiator that they admired and had like all their fans around them, <laughs> and they, <laughs> which is cool. And then they also found in Pompeii evidence that it wasn't only men who were gladiators. There's new evidence coming up that the women have also appeared in the arena as gladiators. There's what relief that clearly shows two female gladiators and uh, the inscription says we had women pick up the sword and some people think that that's like a pretty random occurrence but dr fretwell who's been studying all this stuff forever she has a suspicion that was more regularized and she wants to like dig into that next and figure that out more i've heard the term gladiatrix used which (laughs) i think is actually a very fun word gladiatrix i love that but it's really cool so emperors and influential politicians who controlled the games will almost definitely be remembered by history like they very much are today. But looking at the gladiators' lives tells an important part of this story too. Those stories are important for us to learn to develop empathy of people who are more than just like the great shakers at the top. Because these are the people that are really like enabling human society to continue on a day-to-day basis in ancient Rome. And so I think it's super fun to dig into more of those stories. And that's my, that's my topic about gladiators. That's the two men go in, one man comes out. Damn, murder but not yeah. a crime. Murder but not a crime. Everyone was into it. That was very cool. You imagine they'd be like, "Hey, today I really like. Do you want to? What do you want to do today? Oh, do you want to go see some Christians get executed? Yes, I love that. Let's
1: see. I'm gonna give you, you know, as always, mm-hmm. solid eight points for research. Thank you. I'm gonna give another three points for the throwing the balls into the stands that will like give <laughs> you hints towards a prize. Yeah. Like, why can't they do that more? Like I would like that a lot more than a T-shirt. Yeah. If they were doing cr- that shit, <laughs> yeah. I might go to
0: a game. If right, it was like, <laughs> and, was and you like- get a Penthouse apartment in downtown Austin.
1: Yeah. Oh, I would absolutely <laughs> go. Um. So, yeah, I'll give you an additional three points for that. Thank um, you. I do to take away a point for being like, well, surely you went to all these football games. Sure. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, because you know, like all the football games that I've been to since we've become friends.
0: You know, like that's a thing that like I always do. You're taking a point away from me. If it was my failure to know you as a friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although very fun, when I
1: was like five or six, like very little, it's like one of my earliest memories. My dad took we do a saints game at the superdome oh, who uh, that's that's the uh, yeah who they're got to be saints uh and that was in the 90s because of the, how old i am and <laughs> yeah because of time because of time so this is pre-saints like winning the super bowl obviously pre-katrina and the saints were so bad in the 90s like they were such a bad football team <laughs> that people would wear paper bags over their heads in the stands <laughs> oh wow that's so- like-, like a cheese head thing but paper bags yeah like a paper bag on your head is like like it's sort of like a tongue in cheek of like it's embarrassing that this is
0: our team <laughs> oh. we call them the aints oh, <laughs> oh imagine going out into your home crowd is like god you guys are embarrassing
1: (laughs) well I'm assuming that like the millions of dollars uh, helped soothe their ego a little bit but yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) but yeah and then I'll give you I'll give you honestly four points back for not describing the like explicit torture that people yeah you're uh, welcome yeah that people uh, suffered during like the executions which were oh uh, incredibly creative and (laughs) they really were yeah yeah
0: but also if you want to know more about that i mean the 2000 yeah. uh, russell crow vehicle gladiator will will show you some of that
1: yeah there's a little bit of it in there for sure for sure let's talk about the glitter the gray and the way
0: okay let's get a little goofy a little funny silly <laughs> yeah you're gonna get in a silly goofy
1: mood for this okay um so Ellie do you know what a butterfly effect is
0: yeah that's when like if you kill a butterfly then you'll cause a Thailand tsunami right yeah yeah
1: uh, it's this idea that like us like one thing might through like a series of steps right. actually enact a completely separate seemingly unrelated thing it's like a, it's a theory of inter- it's like yeah of, like greater interconnect activity that's happening all around us all the time that we only have to tune into to see, right? It's mm-hmm, endlessly mm-hmm. fascinating. Also in terms of vehicles it was a, I want to say 2003? 2004? Ashton Kutcher vehicle. Yes. Uh, maybe one of the most depressing fucking movies I've ever seen in my life. I rem- uh, I is- know
0: I've seen it. I don't remember anything about it.
1: So like, this is a kid that literally like every bad thing happens to. Like he's like, oh, no. a, like, it's like, I think his dad leaves or his dad's like in prison. His mom's like not around. Then he's like best friends with these other kids that are really fucked up. Those kids, dads molests all of them. And oh. then they blow up a child on accident and they like kill a dog. Like what the it's just like fuck? Oh, <laughs> it's, it's exactly like this movie was billed to me as a teenager as like come watch like a fun sci-fi romp. And instead, like I'm like thirty minutes in, like what the fuck? Like yeah. I don't like, want to see this. Um. So then, <laughs> so then they're all they all obviously grow up and do like incredibly damaged adults. Yes. It's shocking. Uh, and then he finds out that he can, you know, go back in time. And he keeps trying very understandably to stop like these absolutely horrific, traumatizing things from happening. Uh, and he's punished <laughs> for it. So that's what that movie is about. Did but you know that there was a sequel? I did. And they couldn't even get Ashton to come back for the sequel. No. How bad must
0: that be? The Butterfly Effect 2. <laughs> Too butter, to fly. Again. <laughs>
1: Oopsie again. Didn't
0: learn the first time. Um, There's another one. The Butterfly
1: butterfly effect three revelations oh my god that's great also one more fun butterfly effect fact bag and then we have to move on okay um that movie originally was going they like gave it like a happier ending where he kind of like just like finally figures it out uh spoilers uh-huh. for uh the butterfly effect um <laughs> but originally the ending of the movie because i remember watching this is like a dvd special feature do you remember dvd special features
0: yes i Aww. used to like play the, what, the harry potter games in the yes, dvd um, menus
1: yeah mm-hmm. what a brief but incredible Time in pop culture history. I know. Um, There was an alternate ending on the DVD of Butterfly Effect (laughs) that I got from Blockbuster. And the original ending of the film that they had to change because nobody liked it was that he realizes that he is the common, like, that the reason it's not working is because he is the common denominator in all of these experiences. And so he goes back in time because, like, this whole thing is him going back in time by remembering certain things, you know. Uh like all these traumas. So he watches the video of his birth uh, Uh. and goes back in time to a fetus Uh. in utero and (gasps) strangles his own fetus self with the umbilical cord so that he's never born. Holy
0: shit. No no wonder that didn't pass a focus group.
1: But then (laughs) also, the movie does show you that then everyone else, like all these other kids that got like... For some reason, him not being born means that those kids' dad... is no longer a pedophile and doesn't molest (laughs) them. they because... all have really good lives. And I'm like, Sir, so hey. it was this baby's fault? <laughs> yeah, it was this fucking baby's fault. And I often, to... I think about that TikTok sound that's just like, what if I was suicidal? Like, what if I was like, what if like this was my last straw and then I saw this movie? Yes. <laughs> like, this is so bad. So Whoa. anyway, but this topic is not about the butterfly effect. This topic is about a butterfly effect. Specifically, okay. a pop mm-hmm. culture butterfly effect that I think I you're really going to enjoy.
0: Oh, I'm so excited. Okay, I'm here for it. I'm here
1: for it. She's, Simply here for it. Mm-hmm. So we need to go back in time a little bit. We're going okay. back in time just to 2015. Okay. Uh, specifically, Valentine's Day weekend 2015, which was dominated by the highly anticipated film adaptation <laughs> of Some Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> oh, oh, the gray. <laughs> There's the there's the gray for you. There she is. There she okay. is. So Fifty Shades of Grey came out twenty fifteen. Absolute dumpster <laughs> of a movie, if you ask me. Not even really sexy, which is the only thing that the books had going for them, was that they were like mildly sexy. Right. And the movie was like cold. <laughs> But it did sell really well. It made uh well, yeah. a half a billion dollars off of a forty million dollar budget. I so think that's why. that we
0: can confidently say that <laughs> that fifty shades of gray is the boomer ladies gladiator.
1: <laughs> yeah true so much so that you know they made that movie book club that was just about older women reading 50 shades of gray like they didn't oh even make an God. analog like it is literally about them reading 50 shades of gray and it's a whole movie with like diane lane in it or somebody
0: what the Dian fuck keaton. i'm seriously jane Fonda, Ch- diane Candace keaton bergen kandice bergen mary steenbergen amazing okay yeah
1: no so it's just like they're like what if we all watched and it was a huge success oh my god it was a 14 million dollar budget it made a, over a hundred
0: million dollars let's make a movie about about men watching gladiator
1: i think we need to like we need to watch like, make a show that's like dad movie club where they watch yes. like documentaries
0: about world war ii and gladiator <laughs> yeah is it every, what is it every dad is cramming for a world war a world war ii exam that will never come it's true <laughs> okay okay sorry (laughs)
1: so that movie came out in 2015 it's based on of course the 2011 absolute smash hit book Fifty Shades of Grey Mm -hmm. Uh, which let's go into like a little bit of background on Fifty Shades of Grey if you're not familiar Fifty Shades of Grey which by the way did you know that that book it sold 60 million copies on Amazon UK alone it actually this is like not super fun it outsold every individual book in the Harry Potter series like (gasps) obviously the Harry Potter Series as a whole outsold Fifty Shades of Grey by like leaps and bounds, but like right. Fifty Shades of Grey outsold every single individual Harry Potter book. <laughs> like that's that how huge it was. Is nuts. They it was it was so huge that in England, uh, the printers that were printing the copies of the book, it had this because it's called Fifty Shades of Grey. It had a silver like like a silver toned cover of a fucking tie.
0: Because um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sexy. Oh my god, um, sexy business, daddy. The book
1: sold out so quickly that all of the printers in England ran out of silver ink and could not keep up with the demand of printing this book.
0: Yeah. No. This
1: this woman, E.L. James, her real name is Erica Mitchell. She was like a television executive at the BBC. And so, you know, she had like a little bit of background and like story and savvy. Um, But (laughs) she liked to, at the end of the day, de-stress and wind down by writing fan fiction. So Uh she wrote fan fiction under the name Snow Queen's Ice Dragon. Very strong, (laughs) right off the bat. Uh, So good. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. And she would write fan fiction about all of the books that she really loved which in sort of like the late 2000s was a big fan fiction favorite Twilight. Yes! So so she wrote Twilight fan fiction called Master of the Universe that kind of reimagined Bella and Edward human vampire couple at the center of Twilight instead as like, as you said, a kinky sex billionaire (laughs) and uh, like a mousy student. Yeah. Um, And the they just have like lots of like sexual adventures because the books are considered to be not good Uh, (laughs) there's like this uh this sort of mythos around E.L. James that like she was you know like oh my god I'm incredible and this is gonna like take off I'm so successful but Uh in reality what was happening was it was a very successful like fan fiction series in the sense of like people who read fan fiction were reading it and they were also and this is like a huge problem in fan fiction generally uh, since you know you don't really own the rights to that story people were just like like taking her story and like republishing it, like just like <laughs> just like basically like copy pasting it and like posting it, so they could also get cloud. Um, the and names. that was really, an- <laughs> yeah, and that was really annoying. So she basically partnered with like a small Australian press to Mm -hmm. publish it as like an original work and she was literally just doing it so she could copyright it so that people could so that she could get those taken down because they were messing with her fan fiction business don't do that and she never in a million years thought that that would lead to a bidding war by other publishers to get the book which led to her getting a seven figure deal (laughs) for her first book (laughs) But which is unheard sucks. of. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then she got five million, an additional five million from Universal for the film rights. So that, like I said, was inspired by Twilight, which was another huge pop culture, like absolute slammer jammer, right? Yes, the Twilight absolutely. books. absolutely. <laughs> Twilight books dominated that like what would that be like 2005 to 2012 kind mm-hmm. of era when they yep. were all coming out and if you don't know the reason that like well fan fiction for Twilight was always going to be super popular but I think the reason that things like Fifty Shades of Grey really popped off in the Twilight fan fandom is because those books are so devoid of sex like <laughs> it's absolutely like a parable analog for like Edward wants to bite Bella so bad uh, he thinks about it all the time. He, like, can't control himself yeah, around her physically. Yeah, he thinks he's
0: gonna break her little body.
1: Yeah, because he'll just, like, rip her apart. So, like, he can't <laughs> bite her. And that is a parable for premarital sex of just, like, teenagers, like, wanting to fuck so bad, but, like, they can't. <laughs> if you're Stephanie Meyer, the writer of Twilight, because Twilight... <laughs> Uh, was written by a Mormon woman. And specifically if you read Stephanie Meyer's blog Oh yeah, so Stephanie Meyer, like hardcore Mormon, like went to Brigham Young University, which if you're not familiar, Ellie or anybody else listening is like the Mormon University where you like have to be a Mormon and follow like
0: a behavior code (laughs) uh, I don't don't know why my brain was like, it's like where you you learn how to be Mormon. (laughs) It's the only only course offered. Mormonism It's a weird
1: university, like Brigham Young university could be a topic in and of itself because i mean there are religious universities in the u.s like there's like lots of christian universities but brigham young it really hits different and she sure (laughs) went there and and then she got married as Uh a lot of people who go to brigham young do while they're there because again you can't have sex until you get married uh so they're all like let's get this going and then she had two kids And then as you do as a Mormon woman. And then according to her blog, uh, in 2003, she had a dream where these characters just like appeared to her. And uh, it eventually became chapter 14 in the book, twilight, uh, where they're hanging out in a meadow and, um, Edward is glittering, Mm. AKA the glitter of the glitter, the gray and the way. Oh, Um, okay. Okay. Also a very fun fact. That's just like, also like a fun, um, like editing fact or like uh, book book publishing world fact um, mm-hmm. to go along with the one about E.L. James. This always cracks me up because like Twilight, if you haven't read it or you haven't like seen the book, um, is thick. It is like oh god, I want to say like over four hundred pages. What?
0: Oh yeah, have, have you? Okay, let's get one thing straight. Have you read Twilight? No, ma'am. Oh my god! I've just seen. I've just seen the incredible adaptations. Well, then you,
1: you only know half the story, my queen. Oh yeah, four hundred ninety-eight pages. You should read it. Honestly, okay. in doing the research for this topic, I was like, I was like, you know, what? it's been a minute. I should read Twilight again. <laughs> Uh, I have simply read all four books M- well I've read the first three books multiple times New Moon is my favorite because it's like the most emo uh, and then I've only read the fourth book once because it sucked really hard <laughs> just like the movies do it's like I mean and even like like in Twilight adjusted terms it like sucks really hard wow um, okay
0: adjusting for Twilight it's bad
1: yeah because like the first three books like yeah they're not um they're not gonna win a Pulitzer and they didn't sure. and, they, and they're not going <laughs> Too late, and they will never, and they will never. But they are fun, fast reads. It's it is kind of like reading, it's also like reading fan fiction. Sorry, Stephanie Meyer. They're definitely like better written than Fifty Shades of Grey, which I have also read. Uh, <laughs> but I think Stephen King once put it like best, which is Twilight is a brilliant story, mediocrely written. Like it's a really good story. But like he was saying that to be like, this is why these are a phenomenon. It's like, it's not because it's stupid. It's because it's actually like a really good story and like developed kind of world. Mm -hmm. It's just in the hands of somebody who was like maybe at the beginning of their writing career. But what's very funny is that yes. So the first Twilight book, this was her first ever novel. It's 498 pages, hardcover, 544 pages paperback which is oh my god bonkers like it's well over yeah it's 120,000 words oh my Um, gosh okay now whenever you want to become a first-time author as I have since I was like a Todd uh, Mm -hmm. one of the first things they teach you is like okay word counts for like these you know like word counts for young adult is like I don't know it's like 50 to 70 I think word counts for like literary fiction is like 60 to 90 like and then they're like absolutely like you should aim for like around 70,000 words absolutely under no circumstances should you ever send a manuscript over 90,000 words uh-huh. because no one will read it like it's just like it's like an automatic rejection Um, nobody wants to read your fucking like giant magnum opus when you're an uncreven <laughs> author uh-huh. Um, even Stephen King Stephen King's first novel that like he actually submitted but not, not the first novel published was The Stand and The Stand is as you know very long and they Extremely even after the, long even after the success of like Carrie and Firestarters and those other ones, they still made him cut it down. They were like, this is too long. Nobody's going to read this. And Mm -hmm. it was only in like 1990 when he became, when he was, you know, who he is, that he got to re-publish like it with like the full story. Whoa, okay. So so then you're kind of maybe wondering why did Twilight get published when it is 120,000? Like, how did it even get read, let alone published? Purely by accident. It was literally meant to be like deleted out of like the slush pile and really? it, like accidentally got sent on to a reader and the reader just like happened to really like it so I mean like that part's not, that part's not a mistake like it didn't get published by accident but right. it absolutely got like it should have never made it to the reader's desk and That's like that insane. was just like a pure moment of like chance or fate or whatever <laughs> okay so Stephanie Meyer has this idea that she wants to write 120,000 words about um, but she is still you know like a young mother of two uh, she can only really write late at night after she's put her kids to bed she's trying to crack like all these other characters that are really important to her world Uh, and so according to her and this is true as somebody who was at one point in time a teenage huge Twilight fan Mm -hmm. who maybe spent a lot of time on message boards about Twilight (laughs) who Uh, could it be? I don't know Um, who maybe had a uh, team Switzerland t-shirt oh I'm so sorry I know that probably was confusing so team Switzerland is if you're neither team Edward nor team jacob uh, and you have to ah. think that they both have like a really important place in like bella's life instead of your team switzerland <laughs> you're like neutral about this okay because uh, sure. you're better than other people uh, right so so anyway so stephanie meyer has always made it clear that like music is a huge part of her writing process and for each book that came out she would release um a playlist of like these okay. are the songs <laughs> that i listen to this is my official playlist for writing new this is my official playlist for writing a Eclipse. It was actually really Uh like honestly that was part of the fun part of being like part of the Twilight fandom when the the books were coming out. She was extremely online and she would publish all this stuff like all the time. Kind of like maybe like a more fun version of like what J.K. Rowling does now where she comes on every six months and is like one of Hermione's boobs was bigger than the other and I was like (laughs) I don't want to know that like about this children's book. Like stop telling me things. Stop telling me that. Yeah I don't want to learn new things but like with (laughs) Stephanie Meyer it was like concurrent and it would be like she like would post like her dream cat like before the movies were made she posted like her dream cast of like these are all the actors if I could like put them in MV uh-huh. I think would like be all the characters and that was really fun and so she'd post the playlist so the playlist for the first Twilight book the playlist that she says like inspired the entire series featured very very heavily an American goth rock band called My Chemical Romance uh, Oh, you she- love them I do love them look <laughs> it's it's Absolutely making sense Yeah Um, This is uh, This is what she said She said that um, The entire Like album Was Was instrumental To creating Twilight (laughs) Uh, And specifically That like the song Famous Last Words Which is on The Black Parade Which is their concept album Where they're like In a parade And there's a cancer victim It rolls It's one of the few albums That like I will listen to Like first song To last song order There's like It's oops all bangers Uh, (laughs) Famous Last Words Apparently is like What helped her construct. The character of Jacob, who's like the third lead in the mm-hmm. series, My Chemical Romance is, as you pointed out, a band that I really like. This is when it gets fun. We're we're almost to the end, so like, buckle up. Okay. So My Chemical Romance, who inspired Twilight, who then inspired Fifty Shades of Grey, who then inspired Book Club, the 2018 <laughs> smash hit starring <laughs> Diane and Jane Fonda. Uh, My Chemical Romance <laughs> was formed was formed by Gerard Way. Yeah. The Glitter, the Gray, and the Way. Oh! Uh, okay, yeah. In New Jersey, with his brother and his friends, his brother Mikey Way, uh, and his friends Matt Pellissier, Ray Toro, and Frank Iero hmm They put out their first album, I Brought You My Bullets, You Brought Me Your Love, in 2002, before like, really kind of building what they're famous for now, which is like this kind of like, these big theatrical performances. They've now done two concept albums. The first one, was the Black Parade like I mentioned which I think is like an absolutely cinematic rock experience and then the Danger Days which is like much more of like kind of like a Mad Max dystopian Mm -hmm. uh, vibe. Also very fun fact, that album features a song called Vampire Money which is specifically (laughs) about how My Chemical Romance was asked to write a song for Twilight for the movie. Amazing. Uh, No matter how you feel about the Twilight movies, even if you incorrectly, you know, don't see them as the like absolute masterpieces (laughs) that they are Uh You have to to admit that like the soundtrack slap, like the soundtracks are so good. And it started with the first movie, that soundtrack was just really, really good. And then off of the success of both the movie and the soundtrack in the subsequent movies, they would commission uh, Mm -hmm. musicians to make songs. So like uh, Florence, um, from Florence and the Machine, she did a song for the second movie that's so good. (laughs) <laughs> and so on and so forth. Uh, Bat for Lashes did a song for them that's really good. They approached My Chemical Romance again because My Chemical Romance basically inspired, inspired the it. entire series. And Gerard Way said, "Fuck no." <laughs> like, <laughs> under- no circumstances will we do that uh, uh, and then no. they wrote a song <laughs> and then they wrote a song about it called Vampire Money like of gimme give gimme give gimme some of that vampire money <laughs> like, that's amazing it's really good that song whips by the way you should listen to it so then they went on hiatus and then they announced they announced a, a tour a comeback tour that I maybe spent $800 on getting a ticket to oh. uh, <sighs> do you remember that because uh, do you remember I me? do Where it was? because I texted my I was at work <laughs> like, yeah Constantly refreshing and getting my junior producer to also constantly refresh on her computer for the tickets to go on sale. And they finally went on sale and they were like going insane. And uh, I texted Miles and I was like, Miles, give me $800. And Miles being the, just the sweetest man that he is was just like, yeah, what's going on? Are you okay? Give me $800. And then you were like, Miles, do not give her $800. It's for a concert ticket. Uh, I think I remember
0: that you leaned over the table and you're like, he's going to do it. (laughs)
1: Because he said he would, but he also thought that it was because I was in danger.
0: (laughs) Um, incredible
1: so i did and that was scheduled for um october of 2020 and then the spookiest thing happened and then it's you know (laughs) didn't happen and then uh it got rescheduled for october 2021 and then they rescheduled that again (laughs) a couple months ago so someday i will get to see them and i have a really good seat but who knows when that will be uh but let me let me give you the final piece of this butterfly effect the part that really i think when i tell you is gonna put you in in an even sillier your goofier mood okay. if you will it's the part that i absolutely love so again we have established this like clear like line of like book club 50 shades of gray twilight my chemical romance mm-hmm. um but here's the thing my chemical romance may have uh, released their first album in 2002 mm-hmm. but they formed in 2001 in the immediate aftermath and directly because of the September 11 attacks on the United States. Uh, what? Gerard what? Way yeah Gerard Way personally witnessed 9-11 from his backyard because remember Holy he lived in New Jersey shit. and yeah. he could see New York City uh, and he was so um, affected by witnessing that attack that he felt that he needed to quote unquote make a difference that's his quote and he, the only way he knew how to do that was music so he uh, created a band uh, <laughs> like he witnessed 9-11 and then created a goth band to get all of his feelings out about it then uh, a Mormon mother of two in uh, Utah listened to that goth music and wrote a vampire book and then a housewife BBC producer in London read that book and loved it so much but wished that there were some fucking in it and then wrote an insane series of books that were all based on fan fiction and then that was so successful and world-changing, that Diane Keaton had to be in a movie about it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. 9-11 caused 50 Shades of Grey.
0: <laughs> By proxy. <laughs> no,
1: just directly.
0: Just directly. <laughs> um, incredible. Chelsea. So that's, that's my topic. What a river. What a journey. Which is where I have to start off with the scoring. I have to I have to come in straight with 10, 10 points for the journey. Thank because you. Because they were twists and turns. 9-11 caused 50 Shades of Grey. <laughs> It's about a Nine journey 9-11 continued Diane Keaton's career <laughs> <Yeah>. 9-11 <laughs> created an opportunity for Jane Fonda to return to cinema Incredible So 10 points for that Another two points because Gerard Way also created one of my fun little background of my life shows The Umbrella Academy Oh, that's true Yes uh, that, He's very, t- look, he's talented He's, he's talented just, He's just talented But, ooh, minus, Uh-oh. yeah, minus points points because um, Joe Rogan is his cousin what Joe Rogan and Gerard Way are cousins
1: no that's no according to to loudwire.com
0: so Mm. sorry about that I
1: don't like that when I write in Gerard Way it does immediately like
0: Immediately Uh, fill in Gerard Way Joe. A big sweaty potato that he is.
1: Okay, this makes me feel better. When you click on that, it does say, like the Google like result says, although Joe Rogan and Gerard Way are not at all that close, Joe Rogan did confirm that he's related to the lead Mm vocalist of the rock band My Chemical Romance. I'm happy to
0: hear that they're not close. Yeah, no, I mean how could you be? So, but then plus uh, plus four points back vampire money. Very, very, very good. Yeah. Um, The Black Parade (laughs) still absolutely whips. So there's five points for that. And then this is important and I need you to go here with me. I do have to take off five points for (gasps) that nasty little CGI demon baby (laughs) at the end end of those movies. (laughs) You know what? And you know what I'm talking about.
1: I do know what you're talking about. Like I said, the fourth book is um it is it is an assault mm. by mm-hmm. Stephanie Meyer to the general public. It is unfair. It is not cool. It's not um, not it's not good. It's not good. Uh well, and here's like the biggest bummer and this is going like again a little bit into like twilight lore, but like mm. do you remember the character in the movies, uh Leah who is like the only like girl werewolf? Yes. So she becomes like a pov character in the fourth book which is actually really cool
0: her chapters are some of the only ones that are like interesting also the name renesme you renesme. You, know you can buy that horrible demon baby and it's called a chuck esme <laughs> against me
1: uh okay so I was wrong they weren't POV chapters by Leah but she it was a POV there were POV chapters by Jacob and Leah figures really prominently and it's the only part of the book that's interesting Uh and supposedly allegedly Stephanie Meyer said she was like Bella and Edward's story is done like that story is done but I want to write more books in this world and they're either going to be from the point of view of a now adult Renesmee to which everyone was like boo hiss awful don't do that or from the point of view of Leah and we were like oh yes 100% absolutely go off queen like i want the story of like this like scorned werewolf girl who had yeah. to like run in this boy pack with her ex boyfriend who was now happy with somebody <laughs> else like yes i want that um uh-huh. and then she just never has and instead she's like been writing like weird retreads of of just like the original books like she wrote the um the gender swapped one life and death uh-huh with um what is it Bo? i don't wait what life and death life and death is is a gender swapped version of Twilight, which she wrote <laughs> specifically, like in response to critics who say the story is sexist. And oh. she's always like, "It's not sexist, Bella. The reason that Bella can't do anything is because she's human, and everybody else is a vampire, and vampires are just so much better than humans. So it's not sexist. It's just <laughs> speciesist, if anything, or whatever." <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then, to prove her point, she just rewrote the first book, but gender swapped the two first character, the two main characters. So instead of Bella Swan and Edward Cullen, it's Beau Swan, the new guy at school, and Edith Cullen. Okay. Uh, And and Edith, uh, I want you to know, is spelled in the worst way possible. Is it with a Y? It is with a Y and with an E at the end. Ow! (laughs) So she did that. And then she finally released Midnight Sun, which is the first book of Twilight from Edward's perspective. Ugh, stop, Stephanie. And I'm like, stop. Just write the Leah books, you monster. But yeah. yeah. Breaking down so fucking awful. Renezme is awful. The fucking like C-section by your husband's mouth is awful. Um, Jacob imprinting on a baby oh, is disgusting. Illegal. Also, I don't think that this is really explained like in the movie because like they didn't have enough time but like and I don't know if we've talked about this but you know that like god uh, (laughs) RIP and peace to anybody listening to this podcast if you're still with us like congratulitos um (laughs) they explain in the book that 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 him imprinting on Renesmee means that he actually never loved Bella that what he loved about Bella was sensing that somewhere inside her was the spark of Renesmee and that's why (laughs) that was the egg he was in love with the egg in her ovary and that is why he thought he loved her throughout the first three books but he didn't R- psychotic right. this woman it's should so not be allowed
0: weird this oh lady needs god. some
1: therapy. Oh my god. Anyway, Spring Dawn is sure something. It is also like a billion fucking pages. Seven hundred and fifty-six pages. Oh yeah. No. So, yeah, it's a lot. But the first three slap. They're very fun. hmm So I accept my points and I accept that I accept that sharp <laughs> takeaway because that that doll is is that rough.
0: Nasty little demon baby is not good. It's not yeah, a good. It's thing. really bad. Well, okay, so I promise that by next week, by next week. I'm going to have calculated where we're at with the points because I keep forgetting to do that. So I'm writing it down now so I don't forget. Um, okay. But if you are still with us Thank you so much for listening to this episode <laughs> of What um, What a journey What a pop culture little movie uh, Episode that we just did Slash, I mean no there was a lot of movies with the gladiators too Yeah we really we went down to space We
1: got some history in there we got some pop yeah. culture We talked about dad movies Mom movies
0: A little <laughs> bit of mom movies um, did you know that uh, Renezme can't sparkle? Oh, anyway. So, <laughs> so, uh, Chelsea, where can people find you? People can find me at Chelsea Harfouche literally wherever minutes <laughs> are sold. Oh my gosh! And you can find me at Ellie Maney on Twitter and Ellie Mane on Instagram. And you can find this podcast on Twitter and Instagram at What Pod. Thank you guys so much for listening. Have a great week, and I don't know, maybe go learn something. You know what? I
1: think you're gonna wanna keep it loose, keep it tight. When you think about that little Chick May doll,
0: no! you're gonna wanna say your prayers <laughs> at night. Oh, 100%. She's gonna find you. Yeah.